Say, Law 360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney, and I'm here with my co-host, Bill Donahue. Hello, hello. And Alex Lawson. Hi, guys. So we're uh, breaking from our normal format when I tell people what's coming up because it's just us today, guys, just talking about the news together. No guest. Um, no guest except for the listeners. You, the listeners. You're the guest every week, and we're <laughs> glad you're here. Um, the uh, there's, a, there's a really like pressing breaking legal story that we have to get to the bottom of though a criminal a criminal law story yeah and it's right. not it's i mean the, the the wheels of justice are turning not quickly enough uh, uh in my opinion uh there's been what is it three different uh occasions one i mean i believe that there have been four but okay uh, some okay there have been four different instances of someone's m- coffee mug being misplaced, possibly stolen. Who knows? In the office. There's um, a large secondary market for Law 360 office mugs. Um, it's really driving a lot of this this crime. No one's been arrested yet. Uh, well, no, but... I, that's what I'm saying. I, it was weird, though. Like, it, th- like it's, it's like popped up. Someone, it happened to somebody on Friday. Yeah. Saying like, oh, my mug's gone. If you've seen it, a one-off, whatever. These yeah. things happen all the time. Right. And then today, someone else was like, hey, I'm missing uh, one of my mugs. And then someone replying to that email was like, you know, now that you mention it, right? It did uh, seem I like, also don't have a mug. It did seem like class members were coming out of the woodwork. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it, I lost my mug too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, one, you know, one might be an accident. Two is a pattern. Three, that's a that's a serial mug stealer. I right. don't know. I think, I think we're going to have to, uh, much like that fake uh, series of tweets about the uh, about the person whose lunch had been thrown away. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to have to go to the surveillance cameras. Yeah, yeah. Launch an inquiry. I mean, we're just waiting on somebody to live tweet the drama of like the search for the mugs. Sure. We don't actually have cameras, do we? <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, on to the, the actual news. Let's get on to the real news. We'll update you on the on Muggate uh, <laughs> next week, maybe. Probably not. Um, well, but, it depends on how many more class members yeah, we'll crop see. up between now. Or if any of these things show up. Anyway, a lot more serious uh, stuff going on uh, in our nation's capital, um, or actually, well, in, in, in New York and our nation's capital. Staying on the crime train here. I'll explain. Uh, okay, so you know, if you're a lawmaker in D.C., you know, you're there. You're making the laws. Sure. You're thinking about the laws. It's a big job. It's an important job. Uh, and one of the highlights of your calendar year is going to the White House congressional picnic, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you get to hang out with the president. You bring your family there. Mm-hmm. You get a little photo opportunity. We're it's too fun. excited to sleep. It's a big deal uh, going there. It's you know, a ceremonial thing, but it's sure. a big deal. Well, last year's congressional picnic was an extremely huge deal for uh, New York Republican Chris Collins. He's a member of the House. Uh, because it was at that picnic that he received an email that contained a stock tip. And that set in motion a chain of events that culminated with him being arrested and charged with insider trading yesterday. That is crazy. So let's back up a second. I mean, it's not every day you have someone who's in Congress uh, getting charged with something big like insider trading. Tell us exactly what happened. Yes. Yeah, so uh, like I say, it's Chris Collins, the Republican from New York's 27th district. That's Western New York between... Mm-hmm. Buffalo and Rochester area. Sure. In addition, in, in addition to representing the fine people of that area of New York, uh, he is also a uh, major shareholder and board member of a small <laughs> Australian drug maker called Innate Immunotherapeutics. Um, sure, it's a normal two things to have on your resume, without a doubt. Congressman, we'll, board member of a small Australian <laughs> immunotherapy we'll, company. We'll we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, but according to the indictment that was uh, filed by. Federal prosecutors yesterday in Manhattan. Collins um, was at the White House last summer uh, when the CEO of this company, Innate, uh, emailed him to say that uh, the company was doing drug trials for this multiple sclerosis drug that Mm -hmm. it was trying to bring to market. 
uh, and it had failed that test. The drug completely failed. Uh, the congressman replied, this is a direct quote from the indictment, wow, makes no sense. <laughs> How are these results even possible? Three question marks after that. Right. After he received that email, a minute later, according to the indictment, all of this is uh, carries the necessary uh, alleged caveat. This sure. is all sure. from the indictment, So, just so we know. Um, right after that, he proceeded to pass along news. He uh, made five different calls to his son. Uh, trying to get him on the phone on the sixth try. This is like the call records are like in quick succession, like yeah. two second calls trying to get him on the phone. On the sixth try, he got his son on the phone and proceeded to pass along news of the failed uh, drug trial. Uh, the son, who is also a major company shareholder, as it turned out, sure. passed along the same information to his fiance and to his fiance's father. Scoring points. It's great. What then happened was that uh, these folks immediately sold off their stock in the company, and it allowed them to save over $750,000 when the stock plummeted more than 90% the next now, day. Now, I'm no lawyer, but I thought that that was illegal. <laughs> yes, he's <laughs> been... Uh, so the congressman, uh, his son, and the uh, fiance's father have been charged with uh, securities fraud, wire fraud, lying to the FBI... Uh, various other things. So, so, uh, so that's so that's where we're at. What has he said since this has all happened? Yeah, well, he had a press conference yesterday, which um, gave me a chuckle. Uh, you know, you're, that 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 that's real congressman white collar stuff. Like, sure. I was arrested, and on the same day. Uh, I gave a press conference on the steps <laughs> right. of the courthouse, which is, uh, yeah. So he there and he, him and his lawyers issued fairly standard, uh, you know, refutations of this. They say this isn't true. Uh, the congressman himself, Collins, said it was meritless and that he'd, he, he would mount a vigorous defense in court. He also intends to stay on the ballot for his upcoming uh, November election. Um, he basically wow. said, the voters of Buffalo will not stand for these very, very well-documented yeah. charges. Yeah. Um, he said he believed he acted within the constraints of the law and his lawyers were quick to point out in their own statement, um, that, and if it wasn't clear when I said it, the congressman passed along the information to his relatives who also owned stock. He did not sell off his own stock, mm -hmm. which, I mean, you know, that, I, that is a caveat, <laughs> but I'm still stuck in the idea that you're in Congress and you are still on the board of right. It a, seems sort of inherently problematic. Yeah. yeah, and this this is this gets to sort of a bigger issue than just this one congressman being um, arrested and indicted for this stuff. So a little bit about Chris Collins. He was he's a third term congressman. He was fairly obscure backbencher on the Energy and Commerce Committee. He gained he first like sort of came to the public eye because he was the first sitting lawmaker to endorse President Trump. This is in early 2016, and he sort of remained in the limelight after that, just be, being. Sort of, he was an unconventional candidate to back at that point. And the spotlight on him grew larger in January of 2017 when Trump was preparing to take office. It was at that time um, that uh, Representative Tom Price, who was a former congressman, uh, in his financial disclosure papers, uh, uh, after being named to uh, be the HHS secretary by Trump, it was revealed that Tom Price was um, held stock in this company in eight. Yeah. As did Collins and as did five other Republican lawmakers. Oh, mm -hmm. A lot of people. And it um, a lot of people were asking questions. It was like this is a fairly small Australian drug maker. This multiple sclerosis drug that's at issue here is the yeah. only product that they make. They were uh, the New York Times wrote a story around that time that this, they, they had almost gone bankrupt a couple times. Right. And um, so stuff like that was sort of swirling in the ether. Um Tom Price eventually had to divest. He was ousted for other reasons that had nothing to do with that. And part of the reason that Collins did not sell his stock at that time is that when this stuff came out about him having significant financial holdings in this company, he is under 
he is under separate congressional ethical investigation, different from federal prosecutors yeah, yeah, now. Yeah. So that was that was why his lawyer said, well, he's under ethical investigation. He's not doing anything funny with this stock now, which is sort of we're all kind of you know, snickering about that as we listen to it. But that's what's gone on. Um, but that's where we're at now. Um, you know, Colin said he didn't even take questions at his courthouse press conference or anything like that. He's uh, he said, I'm only gonna be talking about this in court. This is the last I speak of it. But, um, you know, with stuff like this, if it doesn't go into the federal judiciary and it's strictly a congressional issue, you know, oftentimes you get a slap on the wrist from the ethics committee. Yeah, you those a, kind of things happen all the you time. You get a congressional where they say. censure. But now, you know, seeing where this has gone with Collins, um, and we, we wouldn't want to implicate any of these other lawmakers yet, but I mean, it suggests that at least in his case, the stakes are considerably higher here. So he's got a lot on his plate and we'll uh, definitely keep an eye on it. Well, you know who else has a lot on their plate? The uh, the folks over at, at Cadwallader, Wickersham, and Taft. Oh, yeah? What do they got going on? <laughs> well, we uh, I feel like a recurring theme on this show has been us talking about juries and yes. the difficulty of getting them to, to believe things. That, to bend that your will, yes. Right, exactly. And that they're, you know, that and dealing with experts. And, and Oh, yeah. Talk about it all the time. Uh, well, this story that we're about to talk, to, talk about ask the question of what if the jurors don't even get to hear from your experts at all, let alone that seems bad. believe them. So um, Cadwallader, uh, which is being um, sued for malpractice by the owner of the Washington Redskins, was told this week that they cannot call malpractice experts to the stand to defend themselves against claims of malpractice. Okay. There's so much going on in there. Um, yeah. yeah. So let's start with you said the suit is by the owner of the Redskins. Oh, yeah. What's going on? Dan Snyder. Yeah. Our guy. No stranger to litigation. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, of, he knows uh, his way around a courtroom, yeah. too. Yes. Uh, so Snyder, in addition to the Redskins, he owns this company called Red Zone LLC, which is like an investment vehicle. Um, and Red Zone is suing Cadwallader for $21 million in damages over alleged legal malpractice. Um we shouldn't. We won't get too deep into it because it's obviously very complex. But he claims that years ago the firm was negligent in drafting this agreement with the investment bank UBS. Uh, Snyder says the agreement was supposed to cap the fees that he, that Red Zone would have to pay to the bank at two million dollars, mm -hmm. and because of the way that the firm allegedly screwed up, he ended up paying like $10 million. Okay. Um, okay. So at, we've been doing this for more than six years now, but yeah. we're we're finally set for a jury trial next month. Okay. But you said there was trouble with experts. So what went on there? Right. So uh, <laughs> as we often say, I'm no lawyer. Yeah, uh, right. But my instinct, if I, if my client, if I was a lawyer and my client was accused of committing malpractice, I would... I would think I'm going to find a guy who knows a lot about malpractice and put him on the stand and have him explain <clears throat> yeah. why that's not the case. What Sounds constitutes like a good malpractice? Strategy. What is malpractice? Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a pretty complex question. The the, yeah. the like the what, what constitutes a lawyer because there's a lot of gray areas well, with, yeah. with we, what I a mean, lawyer we, can We do talk about this on the show from time to time where it's like um you're not guaranteed to have the best lawyer in the world, nope. but just because someone isn't maybe doesn't do the shrewdest thing it's not necessarily malpractice. Yeah, yeah, well, it's inherently a thing where you're taking risks, like with yeah. with it's yeah. it's it's just like securities law. Like you can't exp it's it's within a range of, of uh -huh. results, and if things don't go your way, it's not always malpractice. Right. Sure. Okay. But so um so the same thought of putting the, those kind of people on the stand occurred to the folks at uh, Cravath who are representing uh, Cadwallader in the case. Um, but this week, um, actually last week, I love news, when law firms represent out. each other. By oh, the way, yeah. it's yeah. just it. It's great. It's sure. like they're all hanging out. Yeah. All right. um, 
But last week, the judge overseeing the case uh, ruled that 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 no, um, the firm is actually <laughs> precluded from putting any of these experts up on the witness stand during the, the upcoming trial. But that doesn't really make sense to me. Like, why would the judge do that? So it, it it's true. It, do, it doesn't seem to make sense because it seems like this complicated thing that you need an expert to walk you and through. And judges but are often like encouraging people to bring in more yeah, experts right, to explain sure. complex stuff. So the idea here is that the, the, the there are basically just there are two sets of facts that the jury can can pick from. And it's the, the law here is not complicated. If they pick set of facts A, yeah, it is malpractice. And if they pick set of facts B, it is not malpractice. Um, so there's a good quote from the from the ruling. Quote, at this point in the case, there are only two versions of the facts concerning the events of August 16th and 17th, 2005, that may have resulted in injury to Red Zone, neither of which involve matters outside of the ken of typical jurors. Mm-hmm. Um, so just basically that, like, you know, these... The actual like picking between those two s- stories, yeah, it's like is not a complicated right? thing. You need mm-hmm. you need experts to walk you through. It's just which side are you are you believing on the facts? It sounds like this judge is almost saying that the experts would intentionally muddy the waters even more. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't. The, the judge didn't say that, but uh, the the judge said that that none of the the analysis that the juries are going to do involves special quote specialized knowledge, which right. is what experts offer up. So the the idea is here if if the jury agrees with Snyder's story, which is that that Cadwallader uh, failed to memorialize this agreement yeah. that would have capped these fees, yeah, um, that's malpractice. That's that's that is a okay, uh, yeah, a, a, just that that's the case. Um, okay. but if the jury agrees with Cadwallader's alternative version, which among other things um, says that Snyder ignored a warning from their attorney and and that kind of thing. Then it's not malpractice. It's, so it, yeah, it's it, it's an interesting it's situation just, where just like who do you believe? Right. Yeah. Um. So it, it's one of those situations where it, it seems it seems strange from the outside, but when you get into it, um, it seems to make some 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 amount of sense. I think I think the onus is on Cravath because I think what they have to do is turn their actual representation into like a expert witness performance art right it's like you see what i'm doing now how i'm representing them over there this is not malpractice i also wonder <laughs> i also is, wonder now this if is Cad, what good Cad like. can sue cravath oh i for, love when that happens it's just a russian doll <laughs> yeah, of, yeah it's the, an inception the, of of malpractice cases let's <laughs> let's do it <laughs> was a historic day in West Virginia with all of the Supreme Court justices now facing impeachment. What had been a slow, deliberate impeachment process took off with lightning speed on Tuesday, fueled by their tour of the Supreme Court offices Monday with $3 million in renovations, including that $32,000 blue suede couch. It resulted in 15 articles of impeachment. For today's main segment, we're talking about the chaos in the West Virginia Supreme Court. And here to join us is a very special guest. Amber McKinney, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on well, the we show, just, guys. We we were just talking about expert witnesses. You're kind of like the expert. Okay, uh, 21 years of my life. Yeah. Born and raised West in Virginia. West Virginia. So I am an expert in this area, and <laughs> I'm a little sad to talk about it yeah, yet again right. on the Pro Se podcast, but here we are. Well, what's going on there in the, the mountain? 
What's yeah, this? Set us up. We heard. Oh, sure. ah, I knew that. <laughs> you were so close. We gotta, heard a gotta little be bolder with your convictions. We heard a little up top, but set us up with the facts of what's what's going on. <sighs> um, well, I just want to let everybody know here in the show that it's time for me to switch careers because <laughs> it looks like there may be some openings on the West Virginia Supreme Court. Yeah. It's my chance to go back and throw my hat in the ring for that. You current on your bar certification still? Uh, I'm not barred in West Virginia, but I could, yeah, I could do that quickly. I'll, I'll go back. Guys. Formality. I well, don't. here's what happened. Do you remember several weeks ago when we talked on the show that um, there was trouble with one of the justices on the court? We did. We did an offbeat on it. Well, uh, it's gotten worse. Um, it has graduated to a full story from an offbeat. But, to a uh, full a full main segment. Yeah. Um, You'll have to see it. So members of a West Virginia legislative committee this week voted to impeach all four sitting state Supreme Court justices for, quote, a necessary and lavish spending um, of taxpayer money on things like high-priced office upgrades and a bunch of other alleged violations. You don't see it every day. Metal. You don't. We, extremely we would, metal. We would like to fire... All of the Supreme Court? <laughs> well, and then just the articles of impeachment are for, quote, maladministration, corruption, incompetency, neglect of duty, and certain high crimes and misdemeanors. Whoa. It's got it all, guys. It's got it all. So okay. the guy I mentioned before that we talked about on a previous show, his name's Alan Lowry, and he was indicted on charges of fraud, right. lying to the FBI, tampering with a witness related to all of that. And if you didn't listen to that episode, um, he was the guy that was doing stuff like getting double inverse for mileage, and mm -hmm. he was using a state vehicle when he shouldn't have been, and then he transferred a historic Cass Gilbert desk to his house, which all was kind of funny, and we were joking around about it, but it got more serious because he, he tried to cover all of that up when the FBI started investigating. It, it made sense for that guy, Lowry, when we were talking about it. Um, he, he was he was federally indicted, after all. Um, what So what what's the deal with these other three sitting judges? Yeah. What, what do they um, do? So I don't know if you recall from the last time we talked about this, but I ended with a quote from the U.S. attorney of the, on the, the case about Lowry saying that everybody had been really quick to condemn that guy, but kind of like, watch out. The crisis might not be over with him. They were yeah. still investigating everyone else. And boy, did they ever. So the deal here is this. West Virginia has five Supreme Court justices, mm -hmm. and one of them is a guy named Menace Ketchum. He resigned abruptly back in July and agreed to plead guilty to federal wire fraud. What is going charge. on over there, Ann? Yikes. A, a lot. So he agreed to plead guilty. The rats fleeing the ship. <laughs> really? Um, to this federal wire charge fraud related to some of that using a state vehicle for like personal trips. Okay. Um, and then we've already talked about Lowry and all of the myriad right. of things he did. The other three people who were part of this impeachment vote face allegations related to millions of dollars spent on pricey furnishing for their judicial offices, unaccountable use of the cars again, and also credit cards. Well, they saw Lowry's desk yeah. and they were yeah. like, well, yeah. They also had some improper payments to senior status judges who okay. were doing work for the court. This this seems, I mean, when the, the, the charges against the two are obviously crimes, so that goes without saying. But the other three, it, from at least from the outside... It seems a little small potatoes, but but I get the sense that there's it's it's once you get into the details, it's more egregious. Yeah, I mean, it's just worth us running through some of these details because it starts to get really crazy, guys. Lowry was doing stuff like he bought a thirty-two thousand dollar blue suede couch what? for his office. Yeah, he spent seventeen hundred dollars on throw pillows. Throw pillows. He's you literally throw them away. It's well, in the name. Yep. He, he spent $7,500 for this custom floor medallion that I have to describe for everybody. Oh, it was 
So it was an inlaid thing in the shape of the state of West Virginia, which has a very distinctive shape. Sure. And each of the 55 counties of the state were represented by a different color wood, <laughs> except for his home state, Tucker County, that was made out of blue granite. <laughs> so you can imagine the, the craftsmanship that had to go into this very expensive Dad, floor medallion. I want to go back to the $32,000 couch there, <laughs> like was, it, there were some media reports that i was you know I was brushing up on this before we got to talk about it on the show today and some of the media reports had people that went uh media members reporters and also legislators yeah. that went to look at this couch and a lot of people were saying stuff like it just looks like a couch i mean it's, uh, <laughs> I recently, how would this be thirty two thousand dollars i recently moved and had to buy a couch and you know i'm i'm a i'm a thrifty guy and it's sort of it's jarring to see how much nice couches cost but but 32000 seems outrageous. It does. Yeah. Well, the total for just Lowry's office, his renovations were over $363,000. <laughs> All right. This now, is, and this is in the state, mind you, that, that just had those the, the like long teacher strike about yes, the fuck that there isn't mo- enough exactly money for exactly what I wanted to talk right. about. There's been a considerable amount of economic strife. So, right. so here's what's happened. Um, the reports have uh, indicated that the office upgrades for all the justices Topped in at around $3.7 million for five people, guys. Five people. So, and Bill, you pointed out the exact right thing to contextualize this story. Yeah. There were, West Virginia was the epicenter of the teacher strikes. And part of that was because teachers weren't getting raises and their PEIA, which is their retirement plans, were not being funded the way that the teachers thought they should. And a lot of that boiled down to people saying like, well, West Virginia doesn't have a lot of money. The state's really been struggling in recent years. Well, this really flies in the face of those kind of problems. Right. It's pretty uh, pretty tone deaf, even if if not an impeachable offense. But so how did they – is their money not allocated by someone that, that – how does that work in terms of – it seems like this wouldn't even be in their hands. Yeah. Fun fact. Uh, West Virginia is the only state that gives its judiciary nearly total control over its own budget huh. as part of the state constitution. Okay. It was. It, it, that sounds crazy no, in I, context here, but it was uh, originally designed that way to cushion judges from uh, like a vindictive legislature well, right, not sure. allocating. Yeah, money. I was gonna say I I, I kind of get that on the page because that's a whole, like you know it's an independent judiciary uh-huh. like you know we, we we make our own we pay our own way or whatever it is, but you can see some of the pitfalls. Well, here you of can that idea. imagine that this is. I mean, this is quite the scandal. Not just in the state, but just anybody watching this is like this is crazy. So. There's a proposed state constitutional amendment that's actually going to be on the fall ballot, and it could eliminate the Supreme Court's power okay. over its own budget and return that power to the legislature. Well, it's funny that <laughs> might be a good idea. It's funny that, that this this policy is rooted in the idea of maintaining this separation between the two, and we'll get into some of the political stuff in a little right. bit. But you know, this almost back back. They backed into the idea that now this is being used as a. We'll talk more about the politics. Turns out we need some well, oversight. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, I think it's one of those things where um, a lot of things sound good on paper, and, yeah. and maybe it prevents one ill. But if it's gone on too long, then sometimes right. it creates the conditions for another well, separate yeah. problem. And, and, and apparently, it was. I don't know how long this has been going on. I mean, apparently, it was an okay provision for however many right. you know decades that the, it's been a state. But anyway, we're talking about you know office upgrades and spending. You said something about payments. To judges who are on senior status or something? So for anybody who doesn't already know this, um, senior status is when a judge is nearing retirement age and they um, get off of a full workload but still do some work. So um, the state law in West Virginia caps what these judges can be paid for that kind of work. But several of the West Virginia Supreme Court justices are charged in those articles of impeachment with signing a bunch of documents authorizing these judges to be paid in excess of what's actually written into the state law. Okay. 
And also there's another tangent where um, Justice Margaret Workman, who's been on the court for many years, also faces a potential removal effort because she encouraged, allegedly encouraged unnecessary hiring and retention of employees. Mm -hmm. And there's allegations that that was repayment for political favors to like former campaign workers and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, a, a lot of moving parts in the mountain state, huh? Uh, it's tough, man. Yeah. It's, it's tough there, guys. Because, I, yeah. I kind of, I mean, I circle back around and I think I've said this on the show before. I hate talking about these stories about my home state that make it seem so terrible. Right. But you can't ignore yeah, I mean, such a big story. It doesn't reflect on the fine people of West Virginia. It does or not. Anything, you know, yeah. I mean, we, I, you're, you're from New Jersey. I'm from Chicago. Like, yeah, we, Corruption about this, this is totally fine. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so, so we have the, it was the Judiciary Committee that introduced right. these articles. What is the process? What happens now? Well, uh, still a ways to go. So the full House is set to vote on these impeachment articles on Monday. If it's approved, they move to the Senate. The Senate would then have to hold a, an impeachment trial mm -hmm. for all of these. If all of the justices do get impeached, it yeah, what happened? <laughs> wipes out the bench. It leaves it completely open. And then it gets even more complicated. So August 14th is a deadline in the state for arranging a special election in November. Okay. And if you can't meet that deadline, then it falls to the governor to appoint new justices. So we got a lot going on here. Oh, so, 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 so this is a state where the justices run. They do. Oh, okay. They're 12-year right. terms. Okay. So, oh, okay. yeah. so Ketchum, who I mentioned before, had retired. He'd gotten out in July mm -hmm. because of his troubles. And so that one clearly met the deadline. So there's one that will definitely be um, filled by special election. Okay. But... Um, what, what a ride for whoever that candidate is. <laughs> right. Just like, right. right. I'll, I'll do better than these people. <laughs> so, Pretty low bar. So yeah, technically right. what happens in West Virginia, um, several years ago, elections were made nonpartisan mm -hmm. for these justices, but... It's. I mean, that's the official line, but it's pretty clear who, what party these um, well, justices are sure. are members of. So, right. um, before the scandal, the makeup of the bench was three Democrats and two Republicans. Mm -hmm. So, as you can imagine, the timing of this impeachment vote so close oh, to that deadline to get sure. a special what election. A, what a nightmare! <laughs> it's raised the hackles of Democrats in the state, um, who say that it's essentially a coup of that branch of the government oh, because um, there was more than a month of hearings on these issues related yeah. to the, the branch. And the vote was just abruptly put on the agenda when it was basically too late for special elections to happen. For anybody who doesn't know, the governor in West Virginia is a guy named Jim Justice. He was formerly a Democrat, but then very publicly, <laughs> oh. after he was elected, switched to the Republican Party and this openly is, embraced Donald Trump. And this is um, a Thomas Pynchon novel. What is going just on here? Right, a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, so you can okay. see how Democrats have been very upset by the timing of all of this. They're not necessarily yeah. saying that well, all of the I, allegations are wrong. I was going to say they're saying the process has been, um, from their perspective, suspect. And Republicans on the flip side say, no. I mean, we just went through the process of the hearings and found these things out and then move forward the way we're supposed to. Okay. It's easy to see with the timing why Democrats are upset, but the I think the easiest way to avoid this uh, this coup would have been not to buy a $32,000 couch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would have solved a lot of problems. Right. Don't, uh, don't put in that medallion in your floor. Yeah. That's, that's the takeaway from this story, guys. Our show is something offbeat, and Alex, I think you want to keep us in the realm of judges. Yeah. Um, so, what are we? This is episode 
66? 66. Is that right? Okay, so we've been doing this for quite a while, pro se, and uh, we've not done any stories about any pro se litigants or any pro se cases. That's, That's true. a good thing. We do get emails about it, though. It's true. Um, and, and often they're written in a manner befitting a pro se complaint. Um, anyway, so... Uh, this uh, is a story about pro se litigation, and it comes with an extra twist because it also involves uh, former Seventh Circuit Judge Richard Posner, the uh, legendary jurist who stepped down from the Seventh Circuit last year and basically said he, he, he retired somewhat unexpectedly. Somewhat abruptly, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah, and people were like, oh, he's, this guy's retiring. And he said, I'm going to become an advocate for pro se litigants. Mm-hmm. He feels that these are, and again, if you're not a lawyer, not a law student, what, the, what, the, what our name refers to is people who don't have a lawyer. They file cases uh, yeah. on their own. It comes from the Latin of, of self, right? Sure. Or for self, something, whatever. So he said, you know, these are people who get railroaded. People don't take their complaints seriously. You know, all of this stuff. So he's become an advocate for that. And he's like actually representing them, um, you know, and helping them mm-hmm. uh, shuffle their cases toward justice or whatever the case is. Anyway. Uh, so the case we're talking about today certainly indicates that he's not just picking and choosing uh, the easy ones, the winners. Uh, well, I mean, sometimes they're not taken seriously for reasons. Yeah, I mean, and it is, I mean, it, it is a noble cause, like because it's true. Like, I mean, some people are trying to find legal redress and they just yeah. don't quite know how to what they're doing, and it's probably right. worthwhile to help those people. Anyway, so having said that, it's a fine pursuit for him to take on. He is now working on a case uh, for a man named William Bond, and uh, he is from Maryland, and he has filed a $450 million lawsuit that alleges um, basically this massive campaign of law enforcement surveillance and intimidation against him as uh, part of, uh, you know, sort of retribution for these protests that he makes of public corruption. Okay. Who hasn't dealt with a problem like yeah, that? Yeah, I mean... He, I mean Four hundred fifty million dollars. Yeah, that's that's a little eye popping well, as you know, an ass. Yeah, he fancies himself uh, something of a public corruption watchdog, and he thinks the government is after him for that reason. They went back and forth a couple rounds at the district court. It was dismissed, like most pro se uh, cases mm-hmm. tend to be, and they actually lost uh, this week uh, in the Fourth Circuit. Uh, and said, you know, the Fourth Circuit said, "Yeah, no dice here. Sorry, Posner. Sorry, Mr. Bond." Uh, but really, what we're talking about here is like any pro se case. The real gems come in the in the in the thrust of the complaint mm-hmm. itself. Um, it would probably best be described as colorful. Um, so <laughs> basically, right. Bond is basically saying uh, he's describing a conspiracy. This is from our story from Dave Simpson. Um, he's describing a conspiracy in which FBI agents tried to make his protest against the Maryland federal judiciary, which he calls the White Gorilla Family. Uh, huh. that, that's gorilla as in the, the, the wartime term, not, 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 not animal, gotcha. not the white gorilla. Uh, they, they tried to make, uh, his, his protests go away by tapping his phones and his internet and harassing him without a warrant by posing as protesters against him. That is a lot to take in. Yeah. And it, okay. And then, so that's like the, the sort Was of, this, can I stop you? Was this handwritten? Uh, I don't know, actually. That's a good question. They often yeah. are. They often so. are. Um, that's that. That's like the. Those are the meat of what he's actually claiming. Uh-huh. Um, but I will say, for as for as wild as that sounds, the actual writing of it is not it does does not suggest something unhinged. He's, right. He he took this approach where you see this sometimes in in complaints and other legal documents where people try to make it like a literary case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this is sort of a lengthy quote, but it's the one that we, uh, that we included in our story. And I think it's, it's, it's very, it's very telling of the entire thing. So just, just stay with me. This is a, this is from the original complaint. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the reporter slowed the small speedboat, then cut the engine off. 
We were about a mile outside of Baltimore's inner harbor, where the big cargo ships dropped anchor in the Patapsco River. The early fall 2010 day was sunny, yet windy. The crisp sort of day where shorts and a long-sleeved polo t-shirt felt just right. The reporter pulled out some beers and chips from a cooler. Cheers, he said. Now tell me about the meeting you had with the Fourth Circuit judge. <laughs> I would read that book. This is sort I of would, his... I would listen to that book on, uh, on audio tape. Um, As read by Alex Lawson. Yeah. Well, that's nice of you to say. So anyway, that's sort of what we're dealing with here. Uh, there's all kinds of... And it's not just that. Like that, you see sometimes people will be, give a little literary twist on uh-huh. their filings. Judges do it sometimes, too. Um... But it, it also but not in the pleadings. No, 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 yeah. no, no. Um, but anyway, yeah. So th- that's that's noteworthy. It also uh, like sort of like jumps backwards and forwards in the yeah. in, in in the time narrative, which which again is like important not to do when you're laying out the right. facts. Important not to do when case. you're laying out the facts of a case. Great when you're writing your novel. Right. Yeah. I mean, these are interesting literary devices, <laughs> but they have they have a place, they have a place. and a, yeah. and a, and a form. Um. So that I mean, you know, absent a. Absent a Supreme Court petition for Mr. Bond, uh, this appears to be the end of the road. But, uh, I mean, I, I don't know what's going on with him and his government protests. I would encourage him to keep writing, though. I think he's, uh, I think he's got a knack for it. That'll wrap up our show for today. Thanks for having me on as a guest, guys. Amber, the pleasure was all on this side of the table. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for being with me, Bill. See you again next week, guys. And Alex. Thanks. We also want to thank our producers, Kelly Marcano and Stephen Trader. Our contributing reporters this week, Jack Newsham, Andrew Strickler, and Dave Simpson. Music for the show this week and always comes from Silent Partner and Little Glass Men. If you want to know more about anything we've talked about, check out our website, law360.com slash podcasts. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher, and if you like it, please leave us a review. Thanks, and join us again next week.